it's a kind of, if you want, a short end of year slash start of new year uh, message. Just, just, kind of, just kind of looking at how do we process what God does in our lives and how does our view of the past shape our view of the future. It may well have been a mixed year for you. M- most of us here probably haven't had a supersonic year. We just think it was absolutely knockout. What a fabulous year. We've probably got a mixture of this was great and that was a wonderful memory, but that was difficult and I found that really hard. And I'm hoping that this message, is short though it is, is something that's going to apply to all of us. It's going to be slightly difficult because I've brought the wrong pair of glasses. So <laughs> most of what I'm going to say is going to be slightly blurry to me but I do pray that it is not blurry to you do you see what I've done there and and thank you and that it's going to be useful it is also I think worth talking about these kind of things in the context of the kind of year that it has been both nationally and internationally it's been a very uh interesting year clocking through the news, what's going on as a country. There'll be a mixture of people in this room that will be delighted about some of the things going on in the country and other people holding their head in their hands over it. Internationally, obviously, the kind of climate thing has been pushed even further up the agenda. There's lots of causes for concern, um, all rejoicing, not the climate one, depending on your views. But what I do want to do is make sure we're applying this to us because we do have a tendency sometimes, particularly... um, if we've been Christians a little while, is to sort of always be thinking about out there and what other people should do and what it means for other people. So I want this to apply to ourselves. I'm going to read the first half-ish of Psalm 66, and I just want to pull out a couple of things that I think will help us to process uh, what goes on in life. Psalm 66, it says for the little, little heading for the director of music, a song, a psalm. Verse 1, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing to the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. Come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. It's a challenging passage in many ways. We start off reading it thinking it's just going to be a lovely, jolly call to worship. Come on, let's praise God. But actually where it takes us means we're going to have to think very carefully about the way God acts in life. The headline that I want to give you is this, we do need to remember what God has done. That is the big headline. We need to remember what God has done for us individually and for us corporately and for us generally as people. And I think the reason we need to do it is this, because our view of God is shaped by our view of the past. What I mean by this is if we look at the past and think, oh, wasn't it great? We tend to interpret that in a nice way. That's great. God's with me. That's wonderful. 
And that's right to do that. It's one of the great things that as Christians we can do is we can give thanks to God for what happened in the past. Where that way of thinking can lead us astray, though, is when we look back in the past where things are difficult and then suddenly think, well, now what do I think of God? Because let's say hypothetically 2018 was brilliant for you and you look back and say, thank you, God, for 2018. You were wonderful. Everything just fell into place. What a good God you are. If you then look back at the end of 2019 and think, that was an awful year. How's that going to shape your view of God? Do you start falling into the idea that, oh, God doesn't love me as much as he did in 2018? Do you start going down the route of thinking God doesn't care perhaps as much as he did in 2018? Do you start thinking maybe God actively is unkind? Because if God loved me, why on earth would he let these kind of things happen to me? So how we view the past does shape our view of God, and we need to think carefully about it. We also need to think carefully about what happens in the past because how we view the past shapes our view of the future. Because if we look back into the past and think, God treated me badly then, God let me down, God didn't come through for me, what's he going to do in the future? I trusted him and he didn't come through. I can't trust him for the future. I thought God loved me, but I had a terrible time, a terrible experience. Things didn't work out. Therefore, he's probably not going to be with me in the future as well. And so rather than just thinking, oh, well, we just go through life. Actually, I think one of the things that we need to get from this psalm, this start of this psalm, is we need to think really carefully about the past because it affects how we think about God and it affects how we think about the future. Because of this, I want us to scrutinize two kind of not equal and opposite, two equally possible scenarios for the past. And we're going to start with the fairly easy one, the good times, and we're going to end after this by looking at how do we interpret things when we look at bad times. So that's where we're going. And the reason it matters is, I think, because how we view the past shapes how we view God and how we think God's going to be towards in the future. Okay? Let's just read verses 5 and 6 again. This is the good times. Come and let us see what God has done. His awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Any clues? Anybody know their Bible? Think they know what he's talking about there? Yeah, do you want to say it? The Exodus. He's re- they're referring back to the Exodus. That was hundreds of years before this psalm was written. But they're saying, let's remember what God did. He dried up the waters. We passed through the sea as if on dry land, a miraculous deliverance from Egypt. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. So you've got this wonderful deliverance that God won for the people of Israel back in the Exodus times. It was this, this was their kind of birth of a nation moment. And this, you find the Psalms and actually lots of the prophets as well always looking back to this moment. It's almost like that was when we came of age as a nation. We, we were born as children of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, and then the, the kind of descendants from them. But it was the Exodus, the Red Sea, that when God made us to be the nation of Israel. And so you often get them looking back and saying, let's remember the incredible things that God has done for us. They're celebrating what he's done in the past. Come and see what God has done. Let us rejoice in it. And yet it was hundreds of years ago. They weren't saying, well, what's he done for me? Well, it was all right for the Exodus generation, wasn't it? What about me? I didn't, I didn't get that job I wanted. 
I crashed my car the other day. I didn't get the right Christmas present, just to make it on a really trivial level. They're saying, let's celebrate what God has done. Let's not forget God's intervention in the past. Because when God intervenes and does great things in the past, let's celebrate them and remember them. Why? Because it shapes our view of God in the present and what God's going to do in the future. We don't want to let them just to drift by. We need to personally remember what God has done for you. It talks about his awesome deeds. Now you may not you may think I haven't got I haven't got an exodus moment. I haven't got a moment when the seas parted before me and I marched through on dry land. But let's not be let's not be narrow and confine the awesome deeds of God to a few huge miraculous supernatural events in the past. God may have done supernatural miraculous events in your life and he and he will have done all sorts of other non-miraculous normal things that you can thank him for in your life. But the point is, let's remember what he's done. Let's not let the good, gracious gifts of God slip through our fingers, just like kind of sand on the beach, as if they're gone and they're past. We've got to remember these things. They were really good at this, um, emphasizing this in the Old Testament. They were really good at forgetting it, because we've got an inbuilt tendency to forget as people, because we live in the present. And if yesterday was brilliant, but today's bad, most people feel bad in the present. They don't feel good about the past. I think, oh, it was great then, but what about now? And the Old Testament recognizes this. That's why it's kind of constantly encouraging us to remember the, the Israelites did it on, on, on several occasions. One of them when Joshua, uh, in the Old Testament, a, a generation after, or two generations, I suppose, one and a half generations after the Exodus, led the people of Israel into the Promised Land through the River Jordan. And it was their own Red Sea moment. The waters piled up and they crossed through the river as if it wasn't there. Joshua then says, pick up 12 stones from the middle of the riverbed and make a little pillar of it. So that when next generations come, when your children, your children's children say, what are these pill- what's this pillar here for? What are these stones for? You can say it's so that we don't forget what God has done. You want to make sure we remember. You find there's, a, there's, a, there's a, another pillar that they put up in the Old Testament called Ebenezer, which is, which is from the Hebrew thing saying, let's, let's, let's remember what God has done. It's not just a wacky name, but it's reminding them that God gave us a victory here. Why? Because we keep forgetting. And I guess the challenge that I want to put out is how do you personally remember the good things in the past that God has done for you? How do you have a pillar, a pile of stones? How do you, some, people, some people just remember. Some people are great at just remembering. If you're great at remembering, brilliant. But some people are not. This is one of the few times I'll speak up for social media. You know, use that as an ongoing record of the good things that God's done for you. If you're the kind of person who likes to put things down, you know, had a great dinner today. Put down the good things that God's done. I'm so grateful for this. I'm so grateful for he's provided this. I'm so grateful for his care. It's like you've got a record. It's like the, 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 the Ebenezer, the pillar. It's a rec- almost a public record of what God's done. Other people, you may not be so keen on social media. Maybe, you know, journaling. A lot of Christians find it really useful to kind of just have a little, almost little diary to write down what God's doing and speaking in their lives. I don't really mind. I mean, take a photograph of yourself. Whatever works for you, but find a way of remembering what God has done. Otherwise, all these good things can slip away and you suddenly start thinking, does God really love me? Does he really care about me? Is he really going to come through? So there's the good times. That's fairly easy, isn't it? We're happy with that one? Yeah? 
All right, we'll do the slightly harder one. And I think this is more difficult when we read this. Let's do verses 8 to 12. Notice how we think it's still going to be good, and then it suddenly gets very difficult. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Now, we can handle the ending, can't we? You brought us into a place of abundance. He's talking about bringing them into the promised land. Wonderful. But notice what they're not doing. What they're not doing is saying, let's not talk about the difficult bits. You know, we, we were the descendants of Abraham, <clears throat> 400 years of slavery in Egypt and oppression. Oh, you brought us into the promised land. Isn't God good and wonderful? No, no, no. They're not doing that. The, the, the writer of this psalm is not just saying, let's gloss over the difficult bits in life as if they don't matter. Or if it's like I'm a bad Christian for focusing on them. No, 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 it's all wonderful. You know, sometimes Christians are too... Are too well, I won't say something stupid, but we're too... We're, we almost just don't want to... We, we think we're dishonoring God if we think that was hard, that was difficult, that was really awful, that was rubbish, I hated that period of life. Look what they're saying. You let people ride over our heads. They're not talking about a stuntman, kind of evil Knievel on a motorbike. Literally, the imagery is, it's like the Israelites were just... The, the Israelites were, were on the ground and the Egyptians, their slave masters, just riding horses over them, riding carriages over them, riding threshing sledges over the top of them, just crushing them down. You, you put us in prison. You let this happen to us. To preserve their life and place of abundance is easy, but it's much harder, isn't it, when you say, you, God, let people ride over our heads. And this is where it gets really difficult. And I'm going to give you an easy option, which I hope you won't take. And we're going to give you a hard option, which I think gives you a better, stronger view of God. The easy option of this is to say, well, no, it's just life. When bad things happen, when good things happen, we thank God. That's God bringing the good things into our, our, our life. But when the bad things happen, that's just life. Or uh, it's the devil. It's the devil doing it. The devil put us into prison in, in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. The devil caused people to ride roughshod over our head. It's, it's the devil. It's, it's life or it's the devil. Or sometimes people say, oh, it's just people's free will. But, you, know, you know, God can't determine what the Egyptians are going to do. If they want to put us in prison and ride roughshod over us, ride over our heads, well, there's, there's very little God can do about it. The reason that we come up with these things is because it allows us to get God off the hook. It, it, it allows us to say, see, it's not God's fault. We can still thank God for the good stuff. But the, the, the bad stuff, no, it was the devil. It was just life. It just happened. It was other people that did it. But that's not what the writer of this psalm says, is it? The writer of the psalm says, you let people ride over our heads. It wasn't as if God was saying, well, I, I tried to stop, but I couldn't. The horses were just too powerful. I tried to restrain the Egyptians, but their free will was so vibrant, I just couldn't hold them back. We say these things sometimes out of fear. You know, we're, 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 we're frightened of facing the consequences. What you're saying, that God let that happen. You're saying that God brought these things into our lives. And we want to get God off the hook. Or we think maybe he was unaware. He can't stop it happening. Maybe the, the, the worst one, the underlying one, maybe God doesn't even care. Maybe I went through that awful year. Maybe that horrible thing happened to me. And God just didn't care about it. 
or he loves other people, didn't even notice. The writer of the psalm is very clear. You let people ride over our heads. You brought us into prison. At a push, we concede, well, God permitted it. God let it happen. But the writer of the psalm is saying, oh, God, you caused this to happen. And this is where I think we've got to really get a good view of God. God brings good times into our life, and he brings hard times into our life. We don't just credit him with the good and exonerate him for the bad because it was someone else. God frequently says it was God doing this. Why does he do it? Well, this psalm again gives us one of the answers for it. Verse 10, right in the middle of it. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. It's a test, first of all. Do you really love God, or do you just love the good things he gives to you? Is it easy to worship God, but actually what you're doing is worshipping the nice life that you have? You find out whether you really love God, whether God is central to you, when a lot of other things start to look shaky. It's the story of Job, a, a, a long poem in the Old Testament about a man who was very successful, happy family, wealthy, well-off, life was good. And the question mark that's raised over him is, does he really love God or does he love his nice life? And then through the poem, everything that Job has is taken away until we find him sitting there scratching himself with a bit of broken pottery on a pile of rubble. Lost his family, lost his wealth, lost his health. It's all fallen apart. And Job makes a number of extremely insightful observations for this. He says things like, shall we accept good from God and not bad? He says, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job comes through it, he struggles through it, but he comes through this process and ends up saying, being vindicated by God. He kept his eyes on God. He knew God was the central, not the things he gives. So one of the reasons that God brings hard things into our lives is to test us. Do we love God or we love the things he gives us? The second thing he says, it's about refining. And the process here is from kind of metal work. Uh, You get ore with kind of bits of metal in it. But you have to go through this whole kind of process of crushing it up and heating it up. And then the kind of a scum floats to the surface and you have to get rid of that. And you kind of repeat this process to refine it, to make it purer and purer. To work, you know, to, 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 it's the difference between here's a, bit of, here's a bit of rock that looks a bit shiny and here's a beautiful piece of silver that I can create something wonderful out of. The second reason this psalm tells us that God brings hard things into our lives is to refine us, is to purify us, is to change us. Because his ultimate goal is to make us like Jesus, is to transform us into the image of his son. And sometimes it's the hard things that actually allow us to dig in and be changed. It's the difficult things that allow us to discover, actually, this is what's going to change my character. Romans 8, 28 is a, is a famous verse that Christians love to quote. 
We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. The context of that, all around that passage, the rest of that chapter, is about suffering and hardship and difficulties. It's not saying, in all things, God gives a good life to people who love him, which is how Christians often read it. It's saying, in all things, even the hardship, the persecution, the difficulties, the famine, the poverty, the illness... The oppression, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And then verse 29, the very next line, tells us what that is. To be conformed to the image of his son. So one of the reasons for the Israelites that God let them be brought into prison, that he let people ride over their heads, is because he was testing them and he was refining them. He was shaping them so that when they came out through the Red Sea, On the Exodus, actually, you're more ready to be my people. Now, the rest of the story goes on. They needed a lot more shaping and refining. They weren't a finished product, which is the same for you and me, isn't it? We're not done, are we? I am not magnificently and almost perfectly shaped into the image of Jesus. I've got a way to go. So have you. And therefore, I suspect that God will continue to bring good things into your life and hard things. But both of them, are evidences of God's love for you and his care for you. And as Job says, should we accept good from God and not bad? Do we just look in the past when it was good in 2008 and say, what a wonderful year, isn't God good? And look at 2019 and say, well, that was difficult, God can't be good anymore. Or do we look at both years, both times, both events in your life, things that have been good and bad, and in both of them say, should I accept good from God and not bad? The Lord's given The Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is still good. God is still loving. And I guess the extra dimension that the psalmist didn't have here, that we have, is the end is not the end of the story, is it? Because verse 12 ends ends their story there. You brought us into a place of abundance. He brought them into the promised land. And in the promised land, they're rejoicing, saying, wonderful, God released us from slavery in Egypt and brought us in here. We know that we have a future place of abundance as Christians. If you've put your faith in Jesus, I I promise you, you will get older and eventually die. Where's God in that? God is bringing you through the waters into a place of abundance. He's bringing you into the final glorious closeness of relationship with him in the new heavens and the new earth that's why it says in the new testament our light and moment 2 corinthians 4 17 our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all our light and momentary troubles and this is paul who nearly died many times on his mission for jesus he's a light and momentary troubles there's an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all and it's not just Put up with the light and momentary troubles because there's going to be a future weight of glory. He says it's the light and momentary troubles that are achieving for us the future weight of glory. It's going through the hard times with God that shape us and refine us and bring us to this position where we're there forever. Not because we've persevered by our own means. We know it's through faith in Christ. But God is shaping us and bringing us through. That's why we need to remember what God has done in the good and the bad times. It's both the gracious care and provision of God our Father for us. Amen? Amen. That's all I'm going to say about that. What I do want to do now is just give you an opportunity just for a little bit. If you're part of the church or you're becoming part of the church here, to, just to share briefly something that God has done for you this year. It's a, 
I guess the two criteria is, what do you want to thank God for, good or tough, that God has brought you through? Or it might be, what do you want to just say, look, I'm so grateful for God doing this in, 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 in my life. Because it's an opportunity for us to remember what God has done, isn't it? Lots of things that we've gone through, you've gone through individually, not everyone knows about it. It would just be brilliant if you're part of the church to share that. God kept me in a hard time. God was faithful to me through difficulties. Or feel free to share the good times as well. We still want to remember them. So that's where we're going to go. Does that make sense?